Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attend honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. May and I met in the mid-2000s in the midst of what was later referred to as the renaissance of Indian independent music. During a radio interview slash performance in Mumbai, where I ended up playing impromptu acoustic renditions of a repertoire I was supposed to perform the same night at a venue where all my gear was stocked in the green room. Fun fact, the SOS versions on a battered guitar she managed to whisk out of nowhere went on to become a pivotal arrangement for one of the songs on my album shortly after. So fast forward about five years, this time I'm stranded in India with all my tour gear with me, but with dates cancelled for what? was supposed to be a six-city promo tour for my EP at the time, which a certain label flaked on two weeks before deadline. But now, she's India's number one podcaster, and that one gig I flew down to Mumbai for on her show when she heard what was going on was probably saving grace for my self-esteem at the time and any flicker of hope or motivation for future professional endeavours in my ancestral country. A relationship that has felt more strained than usual in the recent past. May and her team belong to the minority who strive to set new standards in the Indian independent landscape, in my humble opinion. A fellow third culture kid over the years, as you will probably hear, we've kind of become buddies too. Anyway, here it goes. Just listen to the conversation, make it be on mind. We had a lot of fun. I hope you get to take away some valuable content from this as well. Damn, it's good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to hear you too. My gosh! Thanks so much for doing this. Oh my god, it was—it's my pleasure. I was like, oh my god, TL's got a podcast. Ooh. Well, well, the feeling's mutual. I'm—I'm I'm going. Oh my god, I got a podcast. How the hell am I supposed to get this done? I'm half hoping you're gonna hijack this interview because you're so much better at this than I am. Me? Hijack? No. Well, you're most welcome to if you if you like. Oh, that's really sweet. You know, uh, honestly, uh, thinking about uh, our conversation, can I tell you something? You can tell me anything. Our, my interview with you on Made in India? Yeah. You know, we had this we had this entire chat about being a third culture kid, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, the you know, how that sort of felt for us and growing up in different places and I didn't even I learned what that was because of you. I had no idea what that even meant. And then the the, the Jishnu, who was the videographer during that uh, the session, because he usually is always kind of, you know, just roaming around, taking videos, taking photos. He literally was like, This is the most this is the most interesting interview I've ever had you do. He's like, I was I was ap- you know, like rapt attention during the whole time you were talking to TL. He and he he rarely ever cares about what goes on in the interview because he's just doing his videography stuff. But this one, all, all ears for this one. So yeah, so he was really into it. And I think it was also because he's a third culture kid too because, you know, he, besides, you know, growing up in Bombay, he, his dad, he was in Kabul. 
he was in the wow. UK, he was in the US. So like, yeah, like, like kind of like us, like having been around the world somehow, uh, I think that makes a huge difference just to, to see how we've grown up and what makes us so different from you know, people that grew up in India or completely grew up abroad, you know? Very much. Well, shout out to Jishnu. Much appreciated. And um, yeah. I only have good memories of that podcast, by the way. That was the highlight of my entire uh, tour of India. I mean, <laughs> the tour that never happened. I know. So unfortunate. But, you know, this whole, this might be a very strange time to say this, but the whole passing on of the TCK phenomena is contagious. Mm. I went through an identical experience to yours wherein um, a podcast with a friend of mine in New York called Tayo Roxon made me more acutely aware of the whole TCK phenomena and that there actually is a tribe out there who uh, have a lot more in common than they realize. And to just know that... Just that entire feeling of, oh, I'm not the only one. And uh, there are others who've gone through similar dilemmas to mine. And it's just a very empowering and reassuring experience. It has been for me. And you're not... Absolutely. And this whole domino effect or the whole contagious effect. Mm. (laughs) I feel really Mm. weird saying that in the whole lockdown thing and everything. The virus. (laughs) But... um, Talking about contagious. Yeah, I know. Yeah. but I, I've heard, um, I've heard, I mean, I've tried to pass it on um, mm. and I've, I've heard others tell me the same thing about how they're experienced. It's like this aha thing when you realize, holy shit. You. Oh, my God. It, it absolutely was for me. And I've, I've even brought that up in other episodes. You know, I had interviewed this guy called TL and, <laughs> and it brought it up because I think... Um, you know, the moment where it clicks, right? Like when you realize being what what third culture kid really means, right? This idea that you grew up in a culture that you're not from. And it's very different. Like I wasn't born and brought up outside. Like I was born in India. Like I it wasn't like, I have a lot of friends who were born and brought up in the UK or born and brought up somewhere else. I was born in India. And I grew up with part of my childhood here. And I grew up with part of my childhood in the Middle East. Then I came back to India. Then I went back abroad. Like, so there's, it's not like I wasn't like in India or I was only, it's, there's something very different from having been in one place and having lived your life in chunks in different places. I genuinely think there's a Absolutely. It's also very interesting you bring that up because, um, I recently uh, was added to like this global T- TCK fam WhatsApp group. I could add you too if you like. And it's also interesting, like we're already the first generation or even maybe second generation, depending on. Well, assuming mm. uh, uh, the whole TCK phenomenon starts from the point where it became a thing, we'd probably be considered mm. first generation TCKs. And this group has a lot of second generation TCKs and, and they're already marked marked differences well, between the Yeah. Artists. I'm a second generation TCK. My mom, which is why I I feel like I grappled with it much easier because my mom was one. My mom 
born and brought up. Sorry, my mom was born in Aden, now Yemen. Wow. But she's from obviously from Kerala. Like my my grandfather was working there at the time, and then they moved back to India. Then they moved to Hong Kong, and then she came back to Chennai. Did her college there? She was literally nicknamed Hong Kong, <laughs> and she was like, I couldn't pronounce any of these. Like everyone in Chennai had really long names, and this was at that time. My mom was like. You couldn't even buy jeans. She was like, I would literally buy jeans from Hong Kong and bring it for my friends in college in Chennai. Like, so that's why I think maybe I didn't find it as hard to grapple with. Like, I think because my mom was anyway that I think she grew up that way. I think my my brother and I, we don't really notice the difference. You know, it was only when when you realize you when you're on your own and you you go somewhere else and you're like, oh yeah, I am a little different. Interesting. It was that whole thing of being able to them having lived abroad in the 60s and 70s, which is very different from us abroad in the 90s. Any chance I could get you to elaborate a little on that? So uh, they were in, like I said, they were in Aden in Yemen, and obviously there was um, conflict there. Hmm. Grandad was working in a bank. Um, and then he got transferred to Hong Kong and my mom was like the 10 years they were in Hong Kong was like incredible. And she was in a British school. Uh, yeah, I think the, I think the British influence was a lot, I mean, probably a lot more. It was super different. I think their life there. Plus, firstly, if I, if you look at all the photos, that fashion, those wow. bell bottoms, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> the mustaches, the original hipsters. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's not like my mom. So when she moved to her culture shock, wasn't even Hong Kong. Her culture shock was doing college in, in Chennai. She was like, everyone was wearing like sari or they were wearing kur. Not, I think in, at that time in, in Chennai, there was no like kurta pajama types, but it was mainly like saris and stuff. And she was like, and she'd be wearing like jeans and t-shirt and like shirts and whatever. And it was just completely different even just something as basic as fashion for me the always the problem was i think for our generation i don't know if it was the same with theirs but i feel like the 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 weird convoluted accent that that always that is something that always the accent thing that throws everyone off and i'm not denying i i my accent's weird and it keeps fluctuating mid-sentence so it's not like I'm, I if can help it. If there's one constant uh, if, I've noticed regarding third coaches, <laughs> it's, it's the fucking accent. Oh my god, it is not funny. <laughs> Jesus, every the grief the, I get. The, the, where's the accent, the accent from? from? And like and that everywhere. moment of realization when you when you're not quite sure yourself. I don't know yeah. where my accent's from. You know, it's you know, it's not something I think about. Me neither. I recently re- uh, listened to. Uh, recording of uh, me with my um, therapist who's in Mumbai and I was shocked at how I was speaking because I'm like who the hell is this guy like why am I speaking like that I didn't know I spoke like that either so there's also that constant constant uh, adapting that that constant chameleon thing of how you start speaking like the person you're speaking to yeah and and for sure and that's the thing right and especially when you're speaking to old friends or, or people that you're you're used to hearing in a particular way. And yeah, I mean, yes, the accent is the one thing that I think every third culture kid 
suffers for the weird and it's not like a straight one it's not because it is a amalgamation of where all you've been right and I remember my mom used to tell us that like I had I had a Canadian class teacher and my brother had a British class teacher when we were in international school in the Middle East and we had like different accents in the house it was weird yeah I was like yeah that was super strange but like mine stuck a bit more and my brother's didn't because maybe I was like a little older and you're always like oh I can't I can't change the way I talk or the way I sound. Like this is just me being me. I'm not trying to be someone or trying to do anything. And I definitely know that my accent like sounds odd, you know, because you can't really tell man, when I was in the UK or in Wales, oh my god, my accent, everyone's like, wow, you're sounding a little more Welsh than usual. And I was like, well, thanks. I I don't really know what to do about it. You can't change the way you speak. And literally, this is how I, I'm not trying to. I mean, thankfully, no one's ever thought I've put it on, but they just don't understand where it's from. I mean, it's it's complicated enough that India as a subcontinent has its own accent, depending on which part of the country you're in. I see a lot of rants in the Indian media about how who apparently put some accent on who. I mean, what's an Indian accent even supposed to sound like in the first place? Absolutely. What's the general consensus on that? Because I never really figured it out. My friends in Mumbai sound very different to my friends in Kolkata. Uh, or in Kerala or in Nagaland or anywhere Or in Kerala else. or yeah. Nagaland or exactly. Most of my friends in Nagaland and mid or uh, I almost said Middle East and Northeast, they have pretty American accents. Yeah. Right? Even the sort of the inflections in English is also dictated by the languages you speak, right? Absolutely. So it always changes. And I mean, the one thing that I do regret and I do feel bad about, um, my parents didn't really talk to us that much in Malayalam. And that's one thing I regret. Huh. I don't, I can understand Malayalam a bit, but I don't speak it well at all. And that's, I feel bad about that. Like that's, that's, that's a small regret of like, man, I wish I knew Malayalam better. Um, I had my ass kicked big time regarding my Bengali. <laughs> so the first language I spoke, and brace yourself, was a mix of English, Bengali, Turkish, and Arabic. What? So here's the thing. I was born in Kolkata, left when I was seven months old. Yeah. Parents decided to take up like a tenure in Libya before the, wow. before the country kind of, yeah, before the country kind of broke apart. Yeah. We left like a week before the war broke out. And mm. so... Here I was listening to Arabic all day long, yeah. listening to my parents speak in Bengali and English at home and Hindi too. First two years, I was babysitted by a Turkish family. Mm. And then I'd start going to like a kindergarten for um, kids from India, which was run by a lady from UP. Yeah, yeah. So I'm literally speaking a mix of Hindi, Bengali, English, Turkish and Arabic. And it wasn't until I was about four years old that I even realized that that's not, you know, I'm doing coat marks here, normal. Like to speak a mix of five languages for a four-year-old kid is not normal. Yeah. And they have all these theories here on raising kids and how you're supposed to be more distinct about the language you speak to your child and try not to... Mix him up. Mm -hmm. I, I call BS on that. If anything, I'm just sad that I've forgotten all the Turkish and all the Arabic I learned as a kid. Yeah. It's like completely gone. 
but uh, I still still speak fluent um, Bengali. My Hindi has a bit of an accent, but I get by. Yeah, my my Hindi is terrible. You, I mean, I'm I'm sure you're way better than mine because I'm just okay. I can just about get by. Um, but yeah, my Malayalam I can't speak at all, but I can understand a little bit if people are talking to me. So. Well, I do have the advantage of, you know, Bengali and Hindi are very close, actually. You know, there's no way you wouldn't understand Hindi if you spoke Bengali anyway. They're, they're almost like cousins, really. Mm-hmm. Speaking of first generation and second generation, I didn't know this about you, by the way. That sheds an additional, very interesting light on your upbringing. Thanks. More power to your accent, by the way. Just just put it out there. Thank you. I'm trying to figure out if I'd be categorized as second generation tck too but i don't know but the probably not because they unless they grew up in their formative years basically the first 15 years of your life if at all you were living i'm guessing i'm making this it's a hypothetical uh judgment i'm making very close um, very close the official number is nine like the first nine years of your life how oh it's first high. nine years yeah because because uh, according to child psychologists that's where most of your psychological personality traits develop oh that's interesting well here's the thing my parents were actually born in what's now bangladesh Oh. And they, yeah, and they actually moved to India as refugees. Like, they'd lost everything during the whole partition thing. Oh, my God. My dad yeah. grew up in Assam, and my mom moved to this tiny city close to Kolkata called Hara. Uh, so, technically speaking, like, they're Indian citizens. But, you know, uh, again, this is, uh, I'm not sure how safe I feel even putting this information out there in light of some of the political stuff that's been going on in India. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, You know, it's like you were reading my mind just now. I was like, man, I cannot even imagine what they must think of what's happening right now in India. Yeah. Because uh, um, my dad was actually, he chose to be an Indian citizen because he really oh, believed in the Indian constitution and what it stood for. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons he left England. When we were leaving England, there's this story where he, he was at the bank closing his account and he was sidelined by the managers like please could we have a word in our office and he probably thought okay this is probably another one of those racist things but turns out the bank manager was trying to convince him not to close his account he said you don't have to do anything all you have to do is just hand over 50 percent of your assets and you'll never have to work for the rest of your life so please don't leave this country we'll give you everything you want but he was like no fuck that yeah and this was like uh, yeah because you know they they were professors in the Middle East, and they were they were kept and paid very well. So they had a pretty, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, generous start capital that they worked uh, at on their own. They literally moved to the Middle East with like twenty dollars or something. Yeah. Uh, but he was like, no way. I, I'm already very irritated by my son's very British accent, and then no way I want to <laughs> raise him. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, fuck this and now I'm, I'm no way I'm going to be British so and I respect that uh, I think he might have underestimated uh, some of the repercussions mm. that had on my upbringing I did bear a few scars as a result of the same but um, yeah. all things considered it also went on to be like the core building blocks of who I became. My dad only had like one thing that he told me. He said, if you do well in your exams, then uh, then I'll send you abroad. You don't do well, you do college in India. 
<laughs> and I worked my balls off. Like I worked really hard in my uh, like 12 standard exams. I did well. And yeah, and I went, I went to a place called Cheltenham in the UK, which is like the whitest town Jesus. ever. And um, what was that like? But the thing is like, you know what? And it's the irony of it all is that I, I have a friend of mine, an old college friend of mine who asked me like, did you ever experience any, like, like she asked me about a week ago, did you experience any racism while you were there? And I was like, no, I genuinely didn't except for like, and I was there for six years. I was in the year for six years. I, I didn't really experience anything that was really hardcore. I thought everyone was really nice to me. And it's actually people, a lot of my friends who grew up there that probably went through more stuff than I did. I was in college. Everyone's like, doesn't know anyone. You're all there as freshers. Like, you're not, like, I don't know. I just, I think everyone's also starting to get to know each other. You wouldn't say anything that offensive, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I didn't really, I think the only thing was, like, I think, my, I remember, like, one night I was coming back uh from like pick i'd gone to see a friend we i picked up some dinner and i was heading back to like halls of residence and some drunk guy on the other side of the road was like oi punjab and i was like wrong state i'm from kerala <laughs> yeah i trust him to pick the wrong state after leaving boarding school age of 18 i went abroad i was there for all my college years so that means my undergrad my you know, post-grad. And then I worked there for two years. I came back because I'd been trying to figure out a way to work there. And I was working for a community radio station as like the news editor and as a journalist. And then I was covering the elections and then the conservatives won, like the Tories won. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I remember. my God, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, they're not gonna let me stay here. I gotta have to come back. And then it was too difficult for me to get a visa. Like I couldn't afford it. And it was, I was trying really hard to get a job. And, you know, for them, it's like, if someone has to hire you and I was obviously getting into media, it's not like I was a doctor or an engineer. Mm. And so they're basically like, why are we hiring someone? They have to prove why they're hiring someone from India over everyone in the UK and Europe. Yeah. Because that's like, that's how they have to get their the sponsored visa. Yeah, another drill. And then, the, and then, like I said, the, the Tories won, and I was like, I'm out. And to come back to India after I like built a life there, you know, I like I basically when I came back, it's not like I had any college friends here because I never did college here. I was looking for a job here in Bombay in radio, but at that time there was like no English radio station here, which was again so bizarre considering Bombay is such a hub for music. And a, my cousin was the head of production for a radio station in Chennai. And my mom saw a job that had been posted or whatever by my cousin. And then I called up my cousin. And I was like, hey, I saw this job. Do you think I should apply for it? And it was like a job as a creative manager. So I had done advertising for my undergrad. And obviously I did journalism for my postgrad. And I had always like loved radio and I've sort of stayed in radio or ladies in the audio space for a long time. And so when I told him, he was like, he literally was like, you just come here and you'll get the job. <laughs> and I was like, okay, he was that confident. Wow. Um, and so I moved to Chennai and I moved to Chennai and the first people I hung out with, and I, I was grateful because I had family there. Like um, my mom's younger brother lived there. Um, I had cousins there and um, there were about three, four of my old 
boarding school friends that were there. So hmm. I went back to, you know, my old boarding school buddies and it was so much fun because awesome. a lot of them were like, man, you have not changed. And like, that's another thing, right? I think sometimes it happens that a lot of people feel like, you know, you go abroad and like you're going to, your whole personality will change. And I'm not saying that the experiences that you've been through will not color like who you are and how you feel about things. But I think I'm pretty much, I don't think I've changed that much as a, as a person as such. And I was always like the joker in my class. Like I never, you know, like how in school you'd have like, uh, like a click, right? I was never part of any of that. I used to hate all of that. I used to be, I was, everyone got along with me. I was just the fun, the funny girl in the class. And I used to hang out with everyone and anyone. I didn't ever think that one person was cooler than someone else. That this person's uncool because they look a certain way or they talk a certain way. Like I used to hate all that stuff. And yep. um, also, uh, also yeah. a very uh, quintessential TCK trait. Just on a side note. Really? Yep. We uh, tr tribal mentalities repel us. Oh, I wow! That's so I did not know that. That's interesting. There you go. Your fact of the day, but keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's so interesting. Oh, every time I talk to you, Tails, I get something new. Makes sense, huh? It does, because I hated that. I, I hated that even, I mean, college, I never really experienced that because college, everyone's a bit of a newbie. It's very different in school. But sure. I, when I was in college, I felt like, when I first got to college, I wanted to do everything. I was like, I want to be film society. I want to be in, uh, basketball team I want to do everything I was like oh my god I have so awesome. many opportunities to do so many things I must do everything and yeah and I I mean obviously I couldn't do everything but um I was such a nerd I was the I was the vice president of film society I'm so cool and I wow. also played on the basketball team so yeah I, I no did way. everything yeah yeah I did I didn't I didn't play for very long though because I was on the media course and um, the media campus was quite far away from the sports campus, but I did it for like my first year. We played a couple of away games. Like I wasn't great, like just like defense or whatever, but I wasn't like amazing, but I loved, I loved playing the game and I really got along with, uh, cause like most of the people on the team were from the UK. I was the, huh. me and there was another German girl who was on the team and me and the German girl got on like a house on fire. Really? She had such a great sense of yeah. She had such a great sense of humor. Cause like I, I don't know why I got along with a lot the of the German with a sense of well. humor. Are you sure she was from Germany? Yeah, I know it's funny, but she was really I'm funny. I'm probably gonna have to edit that part out. <laughs> sure. I thought she was really funny. She had a bit. So I, I also met uh, on my course when I was doing advertising, like in Cheltenham. There was a Danish girl in my class. And again, I found her really funny because she had this really cruel sense of humor. And a lot of, huh. not that the British didn't get it, but I don't know. I felt like she had a, a very different sort of sense of humor than everyone else. And I really liked it. I like people that have a sort of like off-center sense of humor. And I think yeah, her sense of humor was a bit dark. So <laughs> I really liked it though. Yeah. Um, well, just to clarify, when I, when I make fun of German humor, I say that as a German. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, there are sides to it. Um, Germany is way more diverse than a lot of people realize. Um, yeah. And there are there is a certain kind of humor which uh, which w while definitely 
probably not very easy for the regular Brit to understand, does stand its own ground in its very unique way. But yeah. uh, take us back to Chennai. So you you just you get back from UK because the Conservatives win. By the way, I, um, I know of so many friends who were affected really badly. Yeah, yeah. Even the what happened at that time was also that I was on something called a post-study work visa which was yep. after your studies, you were allowed to live in the country and work for, for two years. And right. pretty much after I left, that two-year visa became a one-year visa and then a six-month visa, and then it just did not exist yeah. anymore. And so, yeah, I found out so many of my friends that can take advantage of that. I have a really close friend who was affected by that twice. Like, first, oh. he, first time he went, he was you know they changed it just like six months before he graduated so no work visa and yeah. uh, then he went back for his master's and then brexit happened <laughs> so, oh jeez uh, yeah. it's oh, it's the timing yeah. of it all i don't know right it's like sod's law yeah really sod's law so you're back from the uk you're back in chennai i wasn't in chennai for very long i was only in chennai for like a year and then i came back to Bombay because I don't know after a year in China I pretty much felt like I experienced everything and I was like well, I'm done now and then I got a mm -hmm. job working for uh, N87.in which was the sort of online extension of the festival and they right. it was like this website that was so like all, you know covered alternative culture and we trash bands and like, I remember N87 yeah. I got featured there a couple of times didn't get exactly. thrashed thankfully because you were you're a good artist, that's why. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure the two always go hand in hand. <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment, genuinely. Yeah, I was a music journalist and a sub-editor for them. When I moved back to Bombay, I was able to, you know, really understand, like, the sort of independent music space in India because I never really knew much about it. I was in boarding school, and then I spent most of my college years outside India, so I had no idea about the independent music scene here at all. I just had no clue. All the college years where people got obsessed with, you know, indie musicians, I missed all of that. So what were your first impressions? I was amazed that there were so many cool bands coming up. You know, working at N87 was amazing because I got a chance to see some really cool bands and like listen to great music and go for gigs. I was like, oh my God. My job is to go to gigs and write about them. That's crazy. That is awesome. Yeah, it was a, it was a great job to have, and I really enjoyed it. You know, we could pitch all kinds of stories. It was so liberating to do. It was just about building an audience, right? Building a community of people who just want to, you know, who were interested in alternative culture. Who, you know. We were all a little bit tongue in cheek in our writing. It was it was fun. You're also really into the, the music scene that was coming out of India, and yeah, it was really really I really enjoyed that. Yeah. But I also really missed radio because in NH7 I was mainly writing, and I don't think I'm like a, a I'm a I'm a good writer, but I'm a great writer. Like I'm not. I, there were other people you know in our team that were way better writers than I was. I think the value that I had that a lot of people used to see was a I was a very good interviewer. That's because like I come from like a hosting background, right? Like I've always been, I'm a good talker. I can second that. <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh, damn. So, no, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so a lot of the interview stuff I used to get, like that was the beat I used to get because 
a lot of the time people would just say stuff to me. Like one of my most, my most fun interviews that I did was I got a chance to interview Nitin Sani. Oh, for And I loved his music, right? Like from the 90s, I was like, oh my God, like the whole Asian underground scene. So when I got to interview Nitin Sani, I was like, oh my God, it's going to be amazing. And I remember in the interview I did with him, he got like so, because uh, I was asking him about, you know, his childhood and the kind of racism that he went through. And he literally had a giant rant at one point, like in the middle of my interview. And I was like, whoa, rabbit in the headlight. You know, because I was asking him so many questions around that and his experience. And obviously it really affected him. And it, it it's something that came out in his music because music was a way for him to express himself, right? Yeah. Whatever turmoil or trouble he was going through. And yeah, and it was really, it was really fun to interview him because you can see, you know, how that made him who he is and why it sort of gets his goat like any every time, you know, he talks about it. Oh yeah. But yeah, so I can identify. Right. Um, Just to put in a word there, this this is round about the time that's been called the renaissance of the Indian indie, independent music. Do you think? I guess. That's what it's been called to. That's what it's been called. Iron, funnily enough, by Nitin Sony. That's what he called it. Mid-2000s, this was when it was referred to as the renaissance of the whole Indian independent mm. music. Wow, I didn't think of it that way. Um, yeah, which is why your first impressions um, seem so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, how yeah. Did you ever find yourself comparing the growth and the occurrence of things the way they were to your experiences in the uk were you ever doing an ab comparison in the back of your head no really i think india was it was so different right like everything is it's such a young stage in india i felt like everything seemed new here in the uk it was there there was an underground scene there's an overground scene there's so much it's just that you can't compare india because bollywood and the 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 machinery that is the the industry and the the amount of money that goes into that was so different from the indie scene, which seems so small, like it was a complete alternative culture than what was in mainstream music. Like the indie music scene, which would technically be a mainstream music scene anywhere else in the world, wasn't. So making original music was an alternative. So just what I found very, I mean, that's probably the only thing that I found really odd or like that sort of dichotomy. But I remember, and the second ever weekender I worked at, I got to interview like Bobby Friction and Imogen Heap. And I was like, I those opportunities, I would have never have gotten in the UK, yeah. you know, I don't, at least I don't think so. But like here in India, it was like, okay, you're going to interview Bobby Friction and then you're going to go interview Imogen Heem. And I was like, what? That's amazing. Oh, I know what you mean. And I got a chance to like, and like I said, like I, I got a chance to interview some of the most incredible people in my life, like thanks to thanks to that. And then even um, working for, uh, you know, the radio station that I did, because I was only at NH7 for about nine months. I wasn't there for that long. And then I was getting this itch to go back into radio and I sort of, I don't know how, but my CV got like floated around and I got a chance to 
someone from from Radio One had called me because they got my CV through someone else, and because I had so much experience with indie music, they had an indie music show. They wanted me be to be a producer on it, plus do the weekend show. So. They kind of like knew that I had multiple skill sets. I also used to do voiceovers as well for the radio station. And then, yeah, I did the weekend show for Bombay and Delhi, which was awesome. Going back to radio was so cathartic because I love radio. Like I love the medium. Mm. And not that I don't love podcasting. I do. But there is something completely different about radio. Because like radio, there's this level of sort of immediacy and, it, you know, you you push up a fader and then you're live on air. And it's yeah. it's magical and it's ah, like it's yeah. a real adrenaline rush. Yeah. And everything, the speed at which you're putting out stuff on the radio is so much faster. Um, like whether you're doing an interview or editing it or doing it live, like it's very, very different from uh, doing a podcast where you're doing things in advance. You're creating this like sort of audio experience. It's like very different from doing live radio. So I, I really enjoy making podcasts because you have the ability to make something really beautiful and like, like curate and uh, like an audio experience, right? I'm taking you on a kind of journey, but with live radio, it's just you and your voice in a studio. It's that simple and that stripped down. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people got to know who I was because I would play their requests, which, interestingly enough, is where my podcast name Made in India came from. Someone on Twitter, uh, I think I, I played their request, and they put up this, this tweet and hashtag saying, oh my God, May played my request hashtag made my day and they spelled it m-a-e-d and i was like uh i'm taking that thank you very much (laughs) well done yeah and because and i didn't think of it for a long time it was only when we were trying to figure out a name for the show for the podcast that i was like oh you know there was this guy said made my day maybe it can be like made in india because technically these songs are made in india and then that's how the name of the show happened. Made sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See sense. what I did there? Okay. Well done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it was... I'm so bad at this. You're terrible. It's like the, the uh, PJ yeah. Central. Changed from TL yeah, to yeah. PJ. Yeah. You got me. I definitely miss radio. I don't miss working for... A corporate organization that may sound so hipster. No, no, I hear you though. That was the reason I left. I felt like, you know, quite creatively stifled. I felt like we had the ability to make some incredible radio, but just mm-hmm. because of it being this sort of corporate entity and corporate structure that obviously, and as any business should be, um, was very driven by money. If you had an idea or you wanted to do something fun and like on the radio, not that you wouldn't completely be allowed to do it, but everything was around money. Or like, are we getting paid to do this? And I was just like, no, we're just doing it because we're doing good work. How can you get people to listen to you if you're not putting out good radio? Yeah. Or you're not having fun just doing the same thing like all the other radio stations are doing. Yeah. And yeah, and I have to admit, like, I, I did genuinely work with good people. Like I, you know, there were some people on our sales team who would actually come to us in programming because the programming and sales teams, the programming is like all the RJs, all the producers, all the sort of production guys. 
And the sales team are obviously the people who help the station make money. And there's always like a dichotomy between the two. There's always this divide. Um, but there were some like really amazing guys from the sales team and girls from the sales team who would come to us and be like, hey, you know what? We have this client. Do you think we could do something interesting on the radio? Actually ask for our advice because we were the ones who could tell them really good ideas. And it was so nice to have like, you know, work with good people. But like I said, I wasn't, there were certain people that I loved working with and there were certain things that I just wasn't able to deal with. And I, and the funny thing was I quit without a, another job in hand, which again, absolutely shocked everyone. Huh. Cause I just decided I'm going to freelance for a year. Um, doing voiceover stuff, writing. I decided that I would take some time out because like at that time, my grandma, like my grandfather had passed away and my grandma was like alone in Kerala. I wanted to be able to go and see her often. And being on the radio, it's so tough to take leave. Mm. You'd have to take leave like six months in advance because oh, you're dude. on every day, right? I'm wow. on like Monday to Friday. And if I'm not on, I have to pre-record everything. So it's very hard to take leave. Sorry for your loss, by the way. And no, yeah, this is man. Thank you. It was many years ago. But yeah, I still miss my granddad. He was awesome. And then so, yeah, and I, I quit. And it was like a huge shock because I didn't get hired by the Bombay station head. I got hired by the national programming head mm. who... Till this day, I, I absolutely respect him. Like, he really was someone who could see talent in people. And we really, like, I'm still, till today, I have super respect for the guy. Maybe ask what his name is? His name was Anil Machado. That was his name. Okay, shout out to him. Yeah, he was a super cool guy. He was from Bangalore. And honestly, I he was the one that hired me and thought that I'd be awesome on the radio. Because, I mean, I anyway had done this before. I was already experienced. And... He was the one who moved me to the afternoon show. So there was like just so much. And I know that he was heartbroken when I left because he was like, Aww. oh, I, you know, I've invested so much in this human. And now after three years, she's leaving. Yeah. And I did feel bad because I, I didn't feel bad about leaving, but I felt bad for leaving Anil for sure. It's always that trade-off, isn't it, between growth and leaving certain parts of your life behind. Oh, for sure. Always a tricky balance to strike. So if I was moving to another job that was different or paid me more, he would understand. Mm. But I was moving out to freelance, which just did not make sense. Now, you never know. He might have been equally disappointed. That's true. I mean, I was leaving regardless. But I think he couldn't fathom why I was leaving to just be a freelancer. Like I wasn't leaving for a job opportunity. It was, it was a bigger shock, yeah. Your reason would have been way more legit for someone like me personally than moving on, moving up the corporate ladder. Probably. The one thing that I loved during my freelance year though, that I have to admit is that I loved, um, even if I was, like did not have as much money as I would have, like having a salaried job was that I had time. I had time for myself. I had time to travel. I had time to meet my friends. Awesome. I had time to go for talks. I had time to go for events and gigs. And, you know, I had time to experience things. And that's what I loved the most about my freelance year. I had time. 
that's a one thing I miss the most from that, that year, year and a half of just being able to have time. I don't know if it's just me, but I've always found the idea, and maybe this comes from a place of privilege of some sort, but the idea, the idea of having something like a job dictate my life, because it is my life, you know, if, you know, I will die someday, and I, you know, not to go off on the tangential, but point being, you know, thinking, saying that, oh, I worked a job all day and that's all I did all my life. To think that on my deathbed is such a scary thought. And that whole paradigm of a job dictating how I live my everyday life. And we forget that's what's happening to a lot of people. Like that's, that's always seemed like such a scoot perspective on life for me. Mm. I don't know. I think it also depends. I think... Um, it depends what you consider like a nine to five kind of job. Like um, I know that a lot of people, I mean, there are people who obviously are working to survive. There are a lot of people who are doing a job because that's because they have to support their family or um, there are a lot of people who, yeah, there are a lot of people like I have a, a friend of mine whose husband is a farmer in, 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 a place called Market Bosworth in, in the UK. And that's, you know, uh, his own version of a nine to five because they run a farm. And so it's a, it's a different kind of job. You might not be going to an office every day, but and, I mean, that definitely comes from a privileged space where you're doing what you love. But for a lot of people, they're not. And you're doing things because you need to survive or you're you're underqualified or overqualified or, you know, but... Fair play. Maybe privilege does play a role. I still find it debatable, though, because I know of a lot of people. In fact, to be honest, in my experience, and I'm not referring to mm-hmm. people who are literally fighting for survival and, you know, like, that's yeah, entirely, yeah. especially in, in a country like India, that's a whole different issue altogether. But I am referring to mm-hmm. people who... Um, let's just say, aren't necessarily mm, in the immediate Mm -hmm. situation of having to worry about their food and shelter. Let's put it that way. Fair enough, And and most of the people I know who are still slaves to a corporate ladder, and again, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. this uh, from a point of judgment. It's observation, not judgment. You just call them slaves to a corporate ladder. That's total judgment, TL. Just own it. Own it. I'll call it observation. Um... They don't necessarily belong to that like survival group. Mm. Most of them will choose to be part of that corporate game. And they also, I think a lot of people choose to believe that that is where their best interests lie. You know, the corporate perks, the, yeah. the Mercedes, the, the bungalow, whatever. Mm. And you might be surprised at how many people think that is your whole life. Point of the story being, and just to clarify, the reason I say this is in connection to your decision to draw that line and say, no, I'm, I will take that year off. Where I was going with this is that, oh, well, mm-hmm. more power to you. And I really appreciate you having taken that call. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it definitely wasn't an easy one. I can imagine. And I have to say, like, I have to admit that I'm super lucky because when I decided to do that, even though my mom may have been, are you sure this is something that you want to do? And I said, yeah. And then she completely supported my decision. So it's also really, and I said, I lived, I lived at home. I lived with my mom. And so it makes a huge difference when you have a supportive family, you know, 
deciding to like leave a regularly salaried job and then deciding to just freelance for a year isn't like isn't like the most you know oh i'm so proud of my daughter right now it's not one of those huh? so yeah my mom was like always super supportive of me no matter like what i did awesome and so she was like as long as she was like as long as you you can support yourself and you're happy then do what you feels right for you which again i think makes a really big difference when you have a supportive family i agree and much respect to your family to have supported you on that call there is a generation out there though not just one quite a few out there who've been brought mm-hmm. up and are constantly being programmed to think that surviving is your sole purpose in your life and making compromises is something you know it's like mm-hmm. a battle scar is supposed to be proud of if you've done it in the name of survival it's a it's a paradigm and a mentality i'm uh, i would yeah. request uh, all my listeners to be wary of because contrary to what it thinks you know we've been programmed mm. to think it's like some some kind of a martyrdom happening which makes us responsible human beings and if we don't subscribe mm. and conform to that point of view there's also an element of guilt happening yeah and it's many things right it's not even about the corporate job it's like getting married having kids it's conformity. like it's like yeah there's like yeah but it's not conformity it's society's expectations too right it's like this is supposed to be how you're supposed to live your life and this is the good way to do it this is the good path how is that different from conformity so conformity depends so what it depends also what culture you come from and where cuz like society's expectations of you isn't necessarily also conformity i think that there is a slight dichotomy between conforming and what conformity is because it depends where you're from there might be some places in the world that conformity means something totally different and what society expects from you is something else interesting so what yeah i do think there's a difference i think that like to like what is considered conformity in the uk probably not the same in india could you give us an example of how you've experienced that um oh how i've i've never experienced conformity i just told you about my life there's nothing conformity about it <laughs> but the comparison you just made and your definition of conformity that's that's a first timer for me i've never heard that definition of conformity so i'm curious so yeah i'll give you an example um in in india right there is an expectation that um that you that and it's this not just this is like your family's expectations and your expectations of like the society around you and everyone your grandparents there is this expectation of like hey you know at this age you're supposed to get a good job at this age you're supposed to get married at this age you're supposed to have kids right hmm. and that expectation doesn't exist in the uk like when i was living there it wasn't like a, this was something that you had to do and it wasn't like to conform in the uk didn't have anything to do with uh marriage and having children or anything like that that none of my british friends had to that wasn't an expectation that they had to conform was probably this idea that you're talking about of like living this corporate life and being in like london and having a social life and you know partying every weekend and that to some extent that's not what's considered 
the same thing in India. It's gotcha. super different. Gotcha. So I think like where you're from also makes a difference. I think um, what is considered like conformity or not in like the UK might be very different from India. And I think I'm more looking at it what society expects from you, right? What your family expects from you. I look at it as expectation. And that expectation, by the way, can not only just come from your family or your relatives or just your neighbors in society in general, those expectations can come from yourself. Oh, absolutely. I've had friends who really have zero pressure from their family to get married, but they feel like I'm, you know, I'm 38 and I'm unmarried. And that's an expectation that they put on themselves. It's got nothing to do with family pressure. So I think that it, I think expectation can come from anywhere. It can come from yourself too. You can also feel like, oh my God, I'm in my late thirties. And like, how am I, I can't believe I'm not married yet. And I haven't found the right guy. And that's also a thing. Like, and that, like that exists like all over the world. That's not even like an India thing. Um, I rest my case. That's kind of the point I was trying to make. That you know, the source of what do you of that format or template you think you're trying to conform to, consciously or subconsciously, without actually realizing where they come from. Oftentimes, it's they're just subconscious manifestations of upbringing in an indirect manner. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was trying to make. The conformity at the end of the day is basically following a path which you haven't actually developed or come to the conclusion of through authentic contemplation of who you are or who you want to be mm, yeah i went on a tangential okay. that was that was really interesting i much appreciated what happened after the freelance year so actually it was very weird i was a freelancing for about a year but during that year um within like a month of me uh quitting I got approached to make a podcast and that's kind of how I started doing Made in India but I would again I was only freelancing so I mean I would just do a you know I wasn't it was still a part-time thing I wasn't doing it completely full-time I was doing other stuff full-time I still was so happy because like I said I had time that's the one thing I could give people I could give people my time and I don't know if I'll ever be able to experience that till I freaking retire and I'm too old to move. But yeah. Well, I hope you do. I hope so. Because <laughs> right now, like, I mean, obviously my situation is totally different now. Like I run my own company. Like I never thought that I'd be an entrepreneur. And like, that's what's happened in the last couple of years. And yeah, that life is totally different. Awesome. Because you're your company's it's my whole life everything revolves around this i have no barely any time for myself i'm so lucky that i have great friends because they've all been so understanding of how busy i am or if i you know not able to to make it for things or all of that stuff and i'm so grateful that i still have friends <laughs> sounds really sad speaks for but you yeah, speaks for you as a friend yeah things because like it's tough when you're running your own company you're sort of walking down this path and you're you know taking your team and this this thing that you're trying to grow yeah. and you're hoping that you're walking to the light and you're like okay i hope i'm doing the right thing because you're always doubting yourself oh yeah hear you and yeah and i've i've had moments where you feel like you know 
someone doesn't get what you're doing or they don't understand, obviously I'm, I'm running an audio production company, right? Like I'm making podcasts hmm. and I've had meetings with people who literally told me that, why are you doing audio? You should just be doing video. Video is so much, you know, there's numbers, there's this, there's other things to prove that. And I've literally had people tell me that what I'm doing with my company is just is useless. And it is like, it is like extremely disheartening. And even though I believe so much in what I'm doing, there have been people that have like poo-pooed like what I've done. Like who cares about audio shows? Video is what's in, man. Are you blind? <laughs> I'm okay if you're not interested. But like now you're telling me how I should run my company. That's totally different. Patronizing. Very patronizing. Exactly. Well, I had no idea you that's the extent of discrimination you'd faced. I've had like a, the most patronizing meeting with someone and then just, and then it bums you out, right? You're a little bit like, even though I really believe in what I'm doing and I'm mm. not going to change what I'm doing because one dude like told me not to. Oh yeah. I'm still going to do whatever it is I want to do the way I want to do it. Good on you. But it's still, it's just like, oh, it's like, it wears you out. And like, sometimes you have those friends that you can call. They can just be like, let's go get a drink and some dinner, man. Yeah. Uh, thank God for those, huh? Thank God for those. And I'm sure you've had this too, Tia. Like you've had moments in your life where you've wondered, am I doing the right thing? Does this make sense even? Oh, me? Only like 20 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious though, this, this audio only thing, because I, I have a very specific reasons I want to keep this, but I mean, I'm nowhere close to uh, the, garnering the kind of experience you've had um, in this branch. Uh, this is like a side gig, a fun side gig I'm doing uh, for very specific reasons. But I'm curious, please, please take us through. Why w did you decide on keeping your production audio only? I really believe in the medium of like podcasting. Yay. I've always been in audio. That's my expertise. I have no expertise in video. Someone was like, go make a video, like, pr like, produce a video series I'd literally be like okay and I'd probably hand it to someone else saying this is not my expertise I'd be like hey there are these of uh, like 100 other companies that can literally do your video production for you why are you asking me and audio is a very different medium it's not the same as a video production so like I I'm not this is not my jam it's like asking someone to go do something and you're like this is not not even within the wheelhouse of what I do. Mm. So I've always come from like the radio space and then podcasting was just literally like on-demand audio, right? Like that's what it is. It's, and if you look at like what's happening in the world right now, um, there is like a shift from broadcast to on-demand, right? Like why are there so many streaming platforms? You, you can watch TV. It's not like TV doesn't exist, but mm. you know, Netflix and Amazon and Hotstar and, you know, everything exists now in the, in the streaming and on-demand space. So the same thing is happening with audio. I'm able to like, listen, like who is buying CDs now? True. No one. Do no. you even remember the last time you bought a goddamn CD? No. I don't even have a CD have, player anymore. Exactly. I listen to music on, on Apple. Like that's mm. where I listen to music. They have the best library and that's where a lot of people listen to music on Spotify. People listen to it on GeoSalon. People listen to it on Ghana, whatever. And so I'm consuming music, but I'm streaming it. So in the same way that you would talk audio. And if you look at like what's happening in podcasting right now, it is genuinely a growing medium. Mm. And it is 
there there is a space and time for audio and there's a space and time for video exactly like audio allows you to not to not be in front of a screen mm. right like zero screen time absolutely you can be cooking and have a podcast on you can be ironing and have a podcast on you can be having a shower and have a podcast on you can Bingo. be driving to go get your groceries and have a podcast on you can be sitting in sweeping and mopping your house and sanitizing your work table and listening to a podcast. So you're you have the ability to do other things while you're listening to a podcast, right? You don't have to be staring at a screen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I I think there's value, there's a space and time and there's a value to to that. And I think even now if you look at the world, like there are like podcasts are growing. and even though india might be at a bit of a nascent stage that doesn't mean that there isn't how do i say this we definitely are a big lover of audio right like yeah. radio is a uh, yeah radio is very it's a radio is very popular in india that's amazing super popular yeah 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 radio listening is massive in india i mean but that's the power of audio right it doesn't matter whether you you can read or write But if someone's speaking to you, it's like the most basic communication, right? You, I don't have to be literate to like to be able to listen to someone tell me a story. Absolutely. So that's the thing. Like the power. I I know that there's a value in audio because like I don't have to have be have the ability to read or write to be able to listen to someone tell me something. And yeah, so I I think that 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 that's the power of radio. Man, look at the Prime Minister of India. He has his own radio show. called monkey bath he doesn't have a tv show or a youtube channel he has a freaking radio show slash now for it's a podcast yeah right monkey bath has been around for like this, his whole time he's been uh, in power he's had monkey bath hmm pivoting back to what you were saying though if i may mm-hmm. take this moment to affirm your uh, decision and completely support you on it because here's the thing you'll be very happy to know i might have discovered podcast over video but very randomly i think uh, i don't even mm-hmm. remember at this point uh, i think joe rogan was probably the first po- podcast i got into over youtube yeah yeah but at this yeah. point i don't watch any of these podcasts most of the podcasts i subscribe to have a video format as well yeah. and I, there's not one podcast i watch anymore because that's like the highlight of my day like just you turning my screen off you know giving my visual cortex some relief and just listening and uh, yeah, yeah. and it, and also for me it's been an opportunity to be part of like really uh, intelligent conversation you know i'm i'm the guy who usually I prefer listening than speaking uh, anyway which is ironic cuz mm. <laughs> this is my podcast but uh, um I actually you know if I were in a room of like five really cool people talking my favorite role to play would be just to shut up and listen it's um it's been like a game changer yeah. in my lifestyle and um I want to thank you on on my behalf for what it's worth you're most welcome audio only is the way to go for podcasts i think it's it's been neglected Thanks. i mean visual media has gone to like a huge surge in these past 20 years you know yeah yeah as a result there's mm. like most of the material out there isn't really very high quality so i think this whole podcasting yeah. is like a re 
like a revisiting of quality, like people realizing, okay, that thing's over now. We did, we produced a lot of videos and a lot of crap. Maybe it's time to kind of yeah. re-examine what it is exactly putting out there and go back to the roots. And exactly. All these years you were working, before you went independent and um, were your own boss and joined the whole entrepreneurial life, what mm. what was it like for you to work in that whole environment? Because you know you work in an environment that's, uh, let's face it, pretty infamous for being very patriarchal in its structures. And mm. you're India's favorite podcaster, and and <laughs> and a woman. So how's that journey been? Wow. So you know what I I sort of come from, and again I have to obviously check my privilege because um, with regards to how I feel about being a woman in this space, I've never, I've never looked at myself in that way. I think, and, and this is why I think even something as basic as being a radio presenter, right? No one ever looked at me as like, you're a female RJ. I was just an RJ you know, just like everyone else. Beautiful. And if you picked me to do a job or you picked me to do something, you were picking me to fill a, a, a quota. Like, oh, she's a woman, therefore we pick her. I, you should pick me because I'm really good at what I do. And that's the same with like any piece of work. Like I, it, me being a woman shouldn't necessarily matter. What should matter is the quality of my work. That's the most important thing. And so I think that's what I value. Um, I don't, I, I understand this is, like I said, I'm checking my privilege here and it's very much, and I'm working in a space where I have always been respected regardless of my gender. No one's awesome. ever gone, you know, like, you know. So like I said, I'm extremely lucky, but it's strange because I get picked to be part of and attend like a lot of like women focused stuff and whether it's women who pick me up and go oh you're a woman in podcasting or you're a woman on the radio or you're a woman a lot of the time I it's not something that I really notice or realize till someone points it out to me um huh. and so yeah so even in this space like whether I had to attend meetings or or, or do any piece of work or figure out anything I've never done it in a way that I like oh I'm a woman doing this therefore none of that like I'm just like you should know that I do good work and if you want to work with me like that's and it's only been a sheer coincidence like I don't even know if it's like uh, an obvious thing or not but I I literally my entire team is like I have a women majority company even though like four people that work for me or three people that work for me. Yeah. Um, most of my editors are, are men, which is unfortunate. Like I wish there were more lady editors. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I work with some incredible women. Uh, most of the shows that I'm doing are either about women or hosted by women. And so, yeah, I think that's just, I, and I also have a lot of women that get in touch with me you know, with regards to like, how do I make my podcast? And what do you think? And I literally yesterday, I was on a panel discussion about women in podcasting. And I was one of the women on it. 
Awesome. So I don't, yeah. So I don't pick myself out as being like a woman in this space because in podcasting in general, there is just a handful of people who are working in podcasting. I'm just like one of the women. That's in that very reassuring to hear. Thanks. I have a couple of questions in response to that, if I may. Sure. Well, the first one which strikes me is you the, the privilege you keep referring to. May I ask what that would mm-hmm. be? Um, that I come from a, a background where I I have like, like I said, the support of my family, like I'm not financially, I'm not, I'm from a particular, again, it's going to sound terrible. No, there's no terrible on this. Thank you. I come from a privileged background because, um, I have a level of affordability in my life that maybe a lot of people don't. I'm working in an industry that, yes, I think higher up in the media industry, there are a lot of men in power, but there are also a lot of women in power too. Um, I think women have more of a voice in the media industry than in any other industry. Like, it's not the same if you're talking about coding or, I don't know. So I think it's like, it's it's different. And that's what I mean. Like, it's the industry that I, I work in because as women... In the media, you have a louder voice because you have one. Um, and I, yeah, I, when I say privilege, it's that I'm now working in an industry that has a skew. I'm hoping this will happen at some point, but I'm working with a couple of science journalists who interview women in science. And there is definitely a skew of, of there being more men as to women hmm. in the science, in the fraternity. And when you look at... Um, having to take uh, leave because you're pregnant or, you know, like I've never had to experience any of that. And it's very, very different for people who have had to experience that, who've either lost their job or not been able to keep it or maternity leave didn't even exist. And so it's different, right? Like I think there are ways in which you're looked at or like, you know, I'm, I, for example, am not a professional model. So mm. again, there is some level of like what you have to go through, you know, with regards to the way you look and the way you dress and the way you have to act. I've never, ever felt like I needed to do any of those things. So like I said, maybe it's the way I was brought up. Maybe it's the industry that I'm in. It's it's all different. So yeah, when I say I'm privileged, I have the ability to... To if something is wrong, I can speak out. I'm not, you know, I don't think that I don't have that ability. Hmm. And there are a lot of women who don't have that. There are a lot of women who are maybe don't have that ability to to speak out against any injustice that they're going through because of financial reasons, of like maybe the 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 power dynamics between them and their boss or them and the company that they work in. And, you know, so again, like I said, like the privilege comes in various forms. It's not economic or just monetary. It can even be something based on society. It can be based on caste. It can be based on many things. So, yeah. Very true. I find that a very compassionate and sober point of view and inspiring. Yeah, thanks. Oh. Um, I'm also wondering, how do you feel about the global image India seems to have developed in the past decade as the misogynist capital of the world? Well, 
I mean, yeah. The thing is, like, it is, I don't know. Like, this is what's so weird. Like, I think that there's so many stories about it that are coming out. And I'm not denying that, like, being a woman in India and the the level at which you get stared at or looked at or whatever it is. And I'm not even denying this. And it doesn't matter what strata of society that you're from or where or whatever. I have had the most respect from uh, hmm. a rickshaw guy over and above some big honcho in a company. It doesn't matter. It like class does not matter when you're talking about misogyny. So yeah, you. you can have people from doesn't like I said, you can have uh does it like yeah. class and economic privilege does not mean that you are somehow exempt of like misogyny. Um yeah, it's super different. And so I think that Yeah, quite um, the contrary, if anything, in some ways. I mean, it makes you sad and it makes you think that like cannot believe like I this exists, but I also feel like this is a time in which there is an upheaval, there is change taking place. And I think the real power is in education. I think that being able to learn what it is to, you know, from a very young age, whether it's through your family or parents or through um, school and where you're studying, um, if you have, like, I, I really, really believe in education. And I think that, that that's where change can take place, right? Like, it starts literally from there, where that's where you change mindsets. And I think that's what's super important. And I genuinely believe like that's where that's where this happens. It happens mm. in your home, it happens in your family, and it happens in school. And I think that's where there'll be real change. And that's what I hope for. I mean, I'm a bit of an optimist, I guess, that way. Yeah. Optimism feels like the only solution at this point. Thank you. That helps a lot. For for those first like men, especially Indian men, who are grappling to figure out how exactly we can even contribute. What would you, uh, what words of advice would you have to offer? I don't know. It depends. This is a really broad question. Can you be like more specific? You're asking me to give men advice and I'm like, about what? It's <laughs> like this. Like I wouldn't want a white person try to teach me about racism. Point mm. being, I wouldn't feel comfortable as a man giving out advice mm. on how we can uh, Im- address misogyny. Mm. So I'm asking you, I'm requesting you as a woman to give mm. us men advice on what, how we can contribute to the betterment of the situation if that makes any sense i'll <laughs> not really Sorry. huh that was funny i just like thought about it for a second yeah. and then i was like oh, well it's this is very awkward for me to um, talk about i mean i'm owning that this is like uh you know i carry a lot yeah. of guilt so okay uh, yeah i i get where you're coming from now okay. um okay two pieces of advice um listen just listen to women more. You have no idea how powerful that is to just listen to what women, to, to what a woman is telling you, whatever it is, whether it's your mother, your sister, your girlfriend, your wife, random lady on the road, just 
listen. Don't react. Don't give advice. Don't do any of that stuff. Just listen. A woman feels respected. They feel like you've understood. Uh, like genuinely listening is is a is a is a beautiful is a wonderful thing. And I think if men just listened a little more, and listened better, then it, yeah, I think that make a huge difference. Just being able to to listen to women is yeah, it's powerful in itself. And like I said, I don't mean power over someone. I'm, I'm saying power, yeah, but powerful yeah. in the scheme of things. So yeah, just listen. And then in listening comes understanding, comes respect. And then as a woman, I trust you. And earning a woman's trust, it, it that's I, that's a big deal. That's like massive brownie points for you, more than anything else. So if there's any advice I'd give, I'd be like, listen, just listen to women. They're saying something to you, whatever it may be, just listen to them a little more. Don't interrupt. Don't give advice. Don't say how you could have done this or this could have been nothing. Just listen. And that's where, you know, at some point when that when a woman finishes talking or finishes being upset or crying or laughing or whatever it is, then you know, like in your heart of hearts, you're like, wow, he listened to everything that I said, that, that it feels good. And so, yeah, I, I know that sounds like a very bizarre piece of advice, but that's how I feel. Not in the least, that, that's the, some of the most sensible advice I've heard in a really, really long time. Oh, thanks. I can't let you go without asking one last question. Sure, of course. It's been over a decade since the whole indie, independent, indie, Indian, Indian, indie. indie. Uh, yeah. uh, quite, quite a confusing term indeed. Um, yeah. Where do you think things are headed and how do you feel about it? So, you know what? Like, I have to admit that uh, since this pandemic happened, I think that trying to predict the future is really tough. Right. I feel like I've always been a dreamer hmm. most of my life in the sense that, you know, I'm always like, oh my God, so, you know, we could do this and we could do that and that's what would happen. And this, you know, I've always been, had like this idea to be able to think about what things were going to be like. Even if it, it might not seem realistic, it's still a dream. Hmm. There's a beautiful article that Dave Grohl had written about um, the power of like a live gig. And it was an incredible piece and it was so moving because I love live music, right? And I, I cannot even imagine what a live gig is going to be like right now. Like, yeah. if, I, if I go to buy vegetables, um, there's literally like little squares demarcated outside where, I'm, where you're supposed to stand and wait, right? Like and all keeping social distance. I'm like, is that what it's going to be like? Like, I'm going to be at the stage in a little square, like, six feet away from the next person on either side of me. Can you imagine, like, what the gig's going to be like? Wow. Like, mosh pits? Never. But, yeah, I have no idea what the event industry is going to be like. I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, I do know one thing. I think that, like, since we've been in lockdown, like, a lot of artists have had the time and space and room 
to work on like the music that has maybe been pending. So a lot of stuff is happening and everyone's trying to make that pivot to online. But I think to figure out when stuff is going to become lucrative, that I, I cannot predict at all. I have no idea when the next music festival is going to happen and the next gig is going to happen. When I'm going to go for the next gig, let alone a gig might happen, but I might not attend. And yeah, I think the one thing that is happening now is that artists are putting out their music, which I think is, that's exciting. It's exciting to hear lots and lots of new music. And the iron, like someone pointed this out to me, um, a very dear friend who runs an artist management agency in Delhi, his name is Drew Jagasia. We were on like a, like this album launch Zoom call and he said something super interesting. And obviously this is very much an Indian context, but he said that, you know, there's no, this is the best time for indie musicians. And he was like, because there is no Bollywood music coming out because there are no Bollywood films coming out. Interesting. So the only music, new music that's coming out of this country is all indie music. Wow, that is so interesting. Because you don't release, mu but Bollywood music is like a, like a promotional tool for, for films, right? So those songs come out when the film comes out. You won't put out the song before the film comes out. That doesn't make any sense. It's part of like the marketing machinery that is the film. But yeah, there's no, there's no music coming out. So it's all independent music. So yeah, super exciting. So it is an exciting time now. How that's going to develop and change, I honestly cannot predict. But yeah, I, all I hope is that people just keep making good music, man. Amen to that. That seems like a pretty good omen kind of a statement to let you go with. Thanks so much uh, for doing this, May. Hey, no, I'm so glad. And I'm honored to be part of your podcast. No, no, honor's all mine. Honor's all mine. This is, it's, you know, this podcast hasn't even launched yet. And I'm so genuinely grateful for everyone who's been game enough to just kind of give me Yay. these first interviews so I can, you know, just collect the content put out there first. And to have you, India's uh, number one podcaster, as one of my guests at this phase, <laughs> is, it's, it's, the privilege is all mine. So thank you again so much. And um, Well, do let me show comes out oh absolutely and it'll be very interesting to listen back to what you what we just talked about regarding the state of affairs yeah i know it'll be july uh, before this comes out maybe even august yeah, yeah it'll be very interesting to see how we feel about what we just talked about especially the music industry yeah yeah for sure gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon. Just another voice out in.